0: these postscript shows are supported by fanatic.com the fin rental company that ships fcs futures rainbow fins all the brands straight to your mailbox thrusters quads singles twins anything you want to try fanatic has it and you can keep them as long as you want just send them back in the prepaid envelope that fanatic provides all the shipping is covered in your $10 monthly subscription fee and you'll get your first month free by using our promo code PODCAST. But more importantly, you'll help support this show. This is such a smoking deal and really just kind of improves your surf experience and helps you expand your quiver. Fanatic.com. Promo code PODCAST. Thanks. My name is David Scales, and this is my post-script to the 2019 Oi Rio Pro. injury. I started off our postscript to the Margaret River Pro by stating that no venue changed more drastically from the way we perceive it than Margaret's. From a soft and mushy bore to one of the most exciting and high performance waves on tour. Well, the Oi Rio Pro has earned the dubious distinction of having the most scattered identity. Thankfully, we've left the beaches of Rio proper. And while Sakurama still offers the WSL all of the same fan activation opportunities to justify this otherwise unjustifiable stop for the world's best, its identity is still equally as schizophrenic. The thumping quasi-closed out barrels of Barinha are thrilling and absolutely separate the best surfers in the world from the other 25, but only when it's overhead and offshore which by the way, it was during the first two days while the competition was being held down the beach at Etownia. The barrels made during those free surf sessions trump anything that happened during the actual contest. And while I'm aware of the logistical constraints of moving the contest venue, the WSL has been spot on with their calls in the previous four events of this season. The box being the most apt comparison where they maximized the potential of that swell and timed their move perfectly. In Sacorama, by contrast, when they decided to move up the beach to Barinha midway through the third day, the wind had shifted on shore and the swell only had about half the juice left. Those first two unmemorable rounds that did run at Itania did introduce us to a new level of fandom in professional surfing. The Rio event has always been well attended, but this year seemed to set a new record level of intensity. The mass of humanity and the raucous cheering creates an energy and influence over the event that is immeasurable and absolutely undeniable. I'm sure that it works as an advantage to some servers and a disadvantage to others, but it's really just kind of fascinating to see. And it could be an indicator for where professional surfing is going and what we can expect as we move into the Olympics and beyond. Do you want to hear the surfers who lost in that first day and a half of competition? Again, we spend a day and a half of competition to lose four surfers on the men's side. Alex Ribeiro, Pedersen Cresanto. Ace Bucken and Jeremy Flores. For those of you who said that I was too harsh on him back in the Karamas postscript, uh, hard to justify a day and a half worth of competition to lose those four guys. And one thing that is worth noting though, is that eventual finalist Jordy Smith barely survived that elimination round. The main upset in the following round, the round of 32 at Itauna was Frederico Morais over Italo Ferreira who is nursing an ankle injury and because of it intentionally selecting just the smaller cleaner waves and just trying to surf them safely. This is his second 17th of the season and that moves him down three spots in the rankings to sixth. Frederico Morais on the other hand isn't even on tour this year. He got a call up as an injury wildcard replacement for a second time this year and surfed Impressively, albeit very predictably, to a semifinal finish, he got a 33rd at Margaret's. So I'm sure we'll see him again throughout the rest of this year. For all intents and purposes, however, the event really got rolling in the round of 16 for the men at Barinia. After running the women in very mediocre Itania, while Barinia was firing, they put the event on hold for a few hours to relocate midday. Heat 1 of the round of 16 featured what might be a brewing rivalry between Felipe Toledo and Kelly Slater. They had one of the best heats of the year thus far at pumping six-foot Karamas. The event was on hold for multiple days, which allowed tension to simmer. Most people thought that Kelly's only chance would be if the waves were barreling and six foot, and Kelly publicly responded to that adversity, stating that he was going to try to rip Felipe's head off. He didn't quite decimate Felipe, but he did beat him. And he out-surfed him, he out-wave-selected him, he psyched Felipe out. And we've seen moments of Kelly's surfing return to form in recent years. But this was really the first return to form of Kelly's classic mental warfare. Something that no one has ever come close to rivaling him in but also something that is completely contingent upon his being able to back it up with his surfing, which we haven't felt that he's really been able to do up until these last few events. Their rematch at Bariña lived up to all of the hype. The waves were, again, pumping six-foot barrels, but much less perfect than Karamas. Lots of bad ones, lots of water moving. Felipe opened the exchange at the nine minute mark with a big snap right in front of Kelly and then an incredible full rotation, whipped at an incredible speed on a section where most CT surfers would have just placed a snap. He landed in the transition and went straight into a bottom turn and then a closeout slam. It earned him a 9.17. Undeterred, Kelly used his priority just minutes later to masterfully thread a wonky overhead shifting barrel for a 9.5. The heat was absolutely on. A real rivalry where opponents are not only worthy of one another, but they're actually elevating one another's game. They both served five more waves, all of which were inconsequential, until Kelly picked a set free fell from the sky on a double overhead bomb, snuck into the barrel for a moment, and then garnered a 5.33 and the lead. With six minutes left and Felipe needing a 5.66, he took off on the best wave of the heat, a six foot tall, five foot wide barrel, which he surfed adequately. The wave had kind of eight to 10 points in it, and Felipe surfed it to an 8.67. He ended up beating Kelly 17.84 to 14.83. I'm not sure exactly what their record is against each other across time, but it's one-to-one since this rivalry has officially formed, and Jay bay our next event, would be the ultimate venue to continue pushing one another's limitations. If the WSL cannot script them meeting man-to-man, then hopefully fate does. Kelly's ninth-place finish at Rio moves him two positions forward into seventh. Even though Kelly lost that heat, his 14.83 would remain the second highest heat score of the day until Jordy posted a 15.63 to beat Griffin Colapinto. Current number one, John John Florence, looked spry throughout the event and would be a top contender against Felipe at Bariña in any conditions. He drew Wade Carmichael in the round of 16 and posted 12.66 12.66 points while attempting a couple of incredible errors, including a double-grab backflip rotation that he landed but didn't quite ride out of. Which reminds me, in my postscript to Margaret River, I posited that moving forward, quote, progressive surfing will be defined by the waves that maneuvers are performed on, waves of consequence, big sections with big risk. The surfing at Barinia verified that theory. Julian went huge, Felipe, Kaloe too 2 and Jordy. Some of the photos of Julian's unlanded straight airs look like he was being dropped from a helicopter. Anyway, John John was getting close to pulling something significant. He took off on a closeout set wave, hit the end section with projection into a flip. The moment he did it, he felt something snap in his knee, the same knee that he injured last year at Karamas and that sidelined him for the rest of 2018. He exited that heat with 13 minutes on the clock And he eventually reported that he felt okay but it just really gave him a scare and he decided that he would withdraw from the rest of the event just to play it safe wade carmichael wasn't able to find his 6.17 ride through the remaining 13 minutes of the heat so john john made it through that heat and secured a quarterfinal finish his choice to withdraw potentially saved his knee from actual re-injury, and it should also allow him enough time to rehab and be healthy for J-Bay, where he can defend his third world title campaign, where he currently sits in first position on the rankings. The other surfer who we've been tracking through each episode of PostScript is Chloe Andino, who drew the local favorite, the most followed surfer on Instagram, and current world champ, Gabriel Medina. Gabriel has looked unflappable for nearly all of his career. He's one of the most feared competitors on tour, but he looked very human in these past couple of events with a 17th place finishes at Karamas and Margaret's. Even though he finished fifth at Rio, his surfing looked uninspired and lower energy than what we're used to. He always seemed to cobble together two scores to advance through heats but he also squandered a lot of opportunities, and when he comes up against somebody who actually does what they're supposed to do, he ends up losing to them. At Rio, this person was Chloe Andino, who, to his credit, stayed really busy, which was the key to success at Barinha He got barreled, comboed waves, did a super sick straight air, and most importantly, he capitalized when he was given the opportunity. He doesn't have the speed and whip of Felipe, he doesn't really have the excitement of Idolo nor the raw power of Jordy, but he is consistently making semifinals, and that was enough to win Joel Parkinson a world title in 2012. He'll just need John John Florence to loosen his grasp on the first place position, or perhaps decide to nurse the knee through a couple of more events. For now, and Andino remains in the second position. The first three rounds of the women's event ran at wonky Itania. And by the time the commissioner shifted the quarterfinals over to Barinha, the swell had significantly diminished. The women were relegated to surfing shoulder high, semi closed out rights, hoping for a two turn combo. Sally Fitz, Chris Amore, Steph Gilmore, and Courtney Conlog looked to be the top performers through the event. The best heat of the event would be Heat Two of the semifinals but only really in the final 12 minutes. The waves turned on and Carissa belted a set wave for a six five. The wave of the day then came to Steph and she styled through a long tube and then smashed the end section for a nine point ride. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to back it up. Trademark, by the way, that has plagued her throughout her career. And then Carissa Moore three turn comboed her next wave. For a 7.8 and the win. She'd meet Sally Fitzgibbons in the final, where the conditions remained sunny and glassy. Carissa got a head high barrel for a 7, then comboed a small one for a 5.57 five, and held the lead over Sally for 30 minutes. I mentioned in my last postscript that Sally is going to need to develop a point of difference in her surfing if she wants to stand apart from Carissa's power and progression from Stephanie's style and grace, Courtney's power, Lakey's technique and progression. Sally did not develop that since our last event, but she did capitalize on every opportunity that presented itself. She's known for having the most disciplined training regime on tour, for being a beast of an athlete, and the benefit of training is having the stamina and confidence to deliver your fullest potential throughout the marathon that is an event. This moment came in the form of a barreling four-footer with five minutes left and Sally needing a 6-6-1. She nursed a tube and smashed the closeout. The judges awarded an 8-6-7. With this win, Sally leaps forward three positions and into first on the rankings. Steph slides out of that first position into third, where Carissa moves from and into second sally has finished second place on the world championship tour uh, a lot i think five times or so but she's never won a world title this is the exact halfway point of the season for the women and it's really the most diverse and tightly contested uh title races that we've seen in years Right now, the top six surfers are within an 8,000 point spread and people are jumping forward and back three spots in each event, so it's really wide open right now. Sally will undoubtedly be training harder than anybody as we charge through the back half of the season. The men's final saw Felipe Toledo versus Jordy Smith, who had an equal record of four wins and four losses against one another. Jordy looked strong throughout the event, but Felipe looked unbeatable. He was a strong favorite and the defending event champ the waves diminished in size and quality but were still super rippable felipe utilized first priority on a closeout and while he was paddling back out jordy was too deep for the next wave so he opts not to take off felipe paddling out spins at the last second gets barreled and then does a huge boned out straight air lands perfectly in the transition, straight into a bottom turn, and then tail drifts the end section, lands that, immediately does this Wolverine claim, the exact claim that Jordy did when he won this event back in 2013. Toledo got a deserved 9.37 and whipped the crowd into an absolute frenzy. Within five minutes, he backed it up with an 8.67 for a total of 18.04 from which Jordy would never recover. In fact, Jordy barely even put up a fight. It seems he was mentally defeated, perhaps before even entering the final. And this is a point of distinction between these two surfers. Felipe always seems to gain confidence as he rolls through an event, uh, always doing his best surfing in the final, and often getting a 10. Jordy always is subject to whims, and I'm not even sure what triggers his shockers nor his peak performances. It is mental, though. The conditions of the final suited Jordi equally as well as Felipe. Or you could even argue that Jordi's size and power actually offered him an opportunity and advantages on bigger sections than Felipe. So Felipe's fast and sprightly, but Jordi can go bigger, both on the face of the wave and in the air. But he didn't. He just looked somewhat apathetic. And, you know, to be honest, maybe this is in line with a hunch that I suggested from the very first cop, which is that his pacing is just kind of set in marathon mode. And Rio is only mile number 13. So maybe Jordi succeeded by simply making the final. Felipe's inescapable plight is that he has to outsurf his own potential. Even when a contender is a lesser surfer, Felipe has to prove to the judges that his heirs are challenging for him to land. The degree of difficulty is measured against what we know he is capable of. So the scale is vastly different than William Cardoso's, for example. Had William Cardoso done the exact barrel-to-air combo that Felipe did in the final, William would have scored a 10, no doubt, but Felipe only gets a 9 on it. Jordy's been around long enough and suffered enough underscoring, if you remember his 9.17 at Bells that should have been a 10 against Julian. So I think that Jordy has endured that enough to understand that he's really setting expectation in the judge's mind. And now he's mapping out the entire year and he's intentionally rolling at 80% knowing that reduces his fall rate, and knowing that 80% surfing is good enough for him to make semifinals at almost every venue. And he's planning a push towards 90% as we go into Europe, where he could perhaps do the best airs of the year airs that we've seen him do since he was 18 years old. Let's not forget his rodeos. He's done a backside Superman in competition at Lowers. All of that stuff, he has on lock. And if he partners it with his power, there's not a single surfer on tour who could contend with that repertoire. Regardless, we will see that all play out. And uh, he currently moves one spot forward into fourth, just behind Felipe, who's in third, up three spots from sixth. Jeffries Bay starts on July 9th, an event both surfers have won twice, but Jordy has not won since 2011. Felipe is the man to beat at J-Bay, having won the past two years there. But he's made an enemy of Kelly Slater. John John is due for a J-Bay performance. Kanoa semifinaled there last year, losing to Felipe. So he's definitely pinning the target on Felipe's back. This is also usually where Gabriel Medina starts to make his break towards a title race. Who knows? Maybe Julian Wilson will even make an appearance. We'll all find out in two weeks in South Africa. I will see you there.